You're listening to another episode on the Man of Class podcast. I'm your host, Eric Yusko, founder of Man of Class, this podcast, and is the exceptional life strategist helping men break out of ordinary and start living their exceptional life today. This season is the myth of riches. We're still following suit with that. And this season was created because so many people, when it comes to money, we were taught not to talk about money. We were taught not to ask questions. And how do you learn about something if you can't ask questions, if you don't have those conversations? So what we decided to do was to form this series so that we can have that conversation. So maybe we can have this conversation and you can benefit from listening as a third party. You can start learning different ways of thinking about money that maybe you never thought of before. Different ideas, different concepts, different ways of building your wealth journey so that you don't get at the end of your life wishing that you would have made a different decision. This episode, we are getting into a concept called infinite banking theorem, and we have a special guest that is that has been doing this, who has who can talk endlessly about it. And we wanted to bring this in to give you yet another resource so that you too can start making better decisions for your wealth journey so that you can start living a more fulfilling and happy life. So stay tuned. Every day, the world tolerates less and less of traditional masculine behavior, which has driven a new standard for men to be successful. How does one evolve so that they can win in today's world? Enter Man of Class a place to empower men to break down traditional masculinity and build the necessary skill sets, mindset, and confidence to become the men that society desperately needs. Welcome, and I hope you enjoy. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode. This episode um, is following the same suit on the Myth of Riches season. This is season four on the Man of Class podcast. Not only do we still have Chad Sutton with us, but this week we actually have a special guest, a dear friend, who has gotten into a thing called infinite banking. So my buddy David Zapata is here with us to help educate us as well as educate you on a different avenue or a different way of getting into the wealth game. So David, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today and give us a little bit of background of of what you got going on for us. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure always to talk to both of you, of course. Um, Myself and my partners at Factum Financial work with business owners and households, primarily helping them get control of their cash flow, control of their assets, and really uh, take a step back and, first of all, think, which I think is a crucial part that is missing in financial education and in our world today. Think about their understanding of what's happening around them so they can decide themselves what to do when they need to do it. Because at the end, ourselves uh, are the best judges of what's best for us. And we need to be the, the heroes of our life. So we apply it in the context of your personal finances, your business finances. Um, so it's a pleasure for me to dig in, talk about the topic. It's something I'm highly passionate about. Um, and I continue to educate one person at a time. So thank you That's for having awesome. me. That's awesome. And I think that that dovetails perfectly into what Chad and I have been talking about in the series so far, which is think you're so right. The financial mm-hmm. system is is set. So it's sort of go, go, go do X, Y, and Z, save, 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 put it into a 401k, you know, retire when you're 65, you got a pension and, you know, die when you're 83 and a half or something. There's a ton of assumptions that goes into that. There's a ton of uh, what if scenarios and it's not for everybody. Uh, you know, we live in a beautiful time right now where people are, you don't have to wait until you're 65 to retire. 
people are retiring in their 30s, people are retiring in their 40s. Some people, they don't like to retire and they find a passion in what lights them up and they actually work that way. It just depends on the ebbs and flows on, on what brings them happiness for the rest of their life, right? So mm-hmm. it, there's not one size fits all, which is why we've tried to do a great job of pulling together different resources, pulling different people in, have those conversations. So I think this is this is a really exciting podcast. So start us off, David. Life insurance policy is is where infinite banking starts from, I think is is a core piece of it, right? That is a policy. Um, let me share a, a useful framework because I think that that is the part that most people go to. Uh, okay. it's, it's an obvious part to go to because it's the product that's the implementation part of it. I will take a step back and look at it from this perspective. In order to implement something like the infinite banking concept, you need three things. You need a mindset. You need to have clarity of the ideas, the problem you're trying to solve for. Uh, you need to understand, which I think the most important part is the process, the process of banking, the process of how money moves through your life and what part of that motion do you control. And number three, in the implementation phase, in what platform do you happen to execute uh, this process? And it happens to be dividend paying whole life insurance policies. And we can get into the details of why we would use such a product. It offers wonderful, wonderful um, advantages in multiple fields, liquidity control, tax advantages, generational when transfer tax free. We can go into many, many details, but I would say that even before focusing on the product itself, talking about the mindset, the ideas, the problem we're trying to solve and the process of banking, why we emulate the largest corporations and banks around the world in our personal finances, in our business finances, uh, why that could be um, the solution to understanding the money game and understanding how to create freedom and, and control in your financial life. So that would be the starting basis. So I got goosebumps when you were talking, David, because... <sighs> Literally, as we were going through in, in our previous episodes, again, we talked about, you know, mindset. It's something that, that needs to be addressed because, mm-hmm. again, you can have all the tactics in the world. You can go read all the different financial books that exist on the shelves, mm-hmm. but none of that will actually work for you until you get into the right mindset mm-hmm. of breaking out of the things because everything has a belief system. Everyone has a belief system. It's not until you start to break some of that open until then you can start being ready to accept the information, right? The tactics, the strategies, the other stuff. So I love I, that you started with that. Yeah, I, I, what you're saying makes me think of something I always bring up with clients. And I, when I share in this forum, I usually use myself because it is my experience. I'm not just preaching something. I think it's a great, it's, it's how I'm living my life. And I always take them back to when they started their career, which is relevant for the three of us. We started at the same time. And I started asking questions. Okay, when you joined your company and your profession or you started your business, uh, when you started earning that professional income, where did your savings reside? Where did you decide to send your savings? Oh, the common answer I get, which is true for me, I started a 401k and I started making contributions through my paycheck. And I asked then, oh, really, what made you decide that that was the right asset for your savings? And then there's silence. And I don't say anything. And I let them think. And the answer is, I don't really know. I was like, okay. Do you remember what actions you take to engage in that decision in that? And then either silence and they don't know. Hmm. Does it make you think anything in particular? Well, I did it because most people were doing it around me. That was probably part of the paperwork. And I contrast that little experience I just described with sometimes 
different feelings that emerge from discussing infinite banking concept with other people, whether it's skepticism, whether it's amazement, in either direction, I immediately understand that the success, again, going back to the mindset aspect of this, is how people think. Because for the majority of us, we get introduced into a system that is, for the most part, invisible to us. And we are part of it for 30 years, however long we're in the workforce, in the hopes of having a retirement income. But we never have clarity about what problem we're trying to solve, how does it work, does it work for my uh, risk profile? Does it work for how I look at money, for my beliefs? None of those things are contrasted. Most of us are doing it. Nobody's making me too many questions. So I'm not going to think about it. If you two are doing it, should be good for me. It's invisible through my paycheck. Um, so I think that uh, these conversations always start with providing the person in front of me um, with the opportunity to think. I am not the judge of right or wrong or good or bad. I'm here to serve other people through my awareness, my point of view, the tools I have, my experience. Uh, I've been doing IBC. I had an insurance policy um, for protection back in 2011. And now that I understand the power of this product, I've developed a whole infrastructure for my family for the last four or five years. I have policies in the previous generations with my dad. I have policies on me and my wife. I'm about to become a dad in June. So I'm going to have a policy on my child. And this is going to be the mechanism to create a wealth transfer to future generations, not because of the money necessarily, because I want to change the paradigm that I, in my generation, entered life professionally trying to skate the rat race. I want to create a system, a paradigm, an education in the next people that come after me where they never have to enter it because they understand how money works. They know what to do when they need to do it, align with their values and beliefs. You got a mic drop on that right there, you know, and, and yeah. I'll say, by the way, I think we're competing for who has the sexier voice. I'm just, you know, I, I thought it was <laughs> we're casting, we're casting a poll. So if anybody wants to, to hit us up on which one it is. Yeah. Um. You heard you heard us talk in a different podcast in an earlier show about, you know, and this this is just by design. The, the banking system is not set up to your benefit. Right. Mm -hmm. And so. This has changed over time. And we talked about fractional reserve lending and how that actually kind of opened the door for people having to, to stick their money in mortgages. And, you know, guess what? The bank really loves when you put your money in a checking account and they get, they're, they're basically giving, you're giving them a loan for like what, 0.1% interest because that's what they're paying you back to hold your money, right? And then they turn around and give you that same money back in a car loan for 5%, you know? So what I love about where, where, where David is going here is most people, and this is this is just how we're taught, right? This is how America is taught. Most people look at what is the amount of income I have left over to invest and therefore generate wealth. And it's typically what's left over after I get my take-home check, I spend my living expenses, maybe some went into a 401k, but whatever's left, that little bit that's left is my, is my play money slash invest money. And you have to live a life of scarcity to decide, do I want to invest that money or go out to eat with my wife? You know, it's that kind of thing, right? So the problem in the, herein lies is everything that's in that expense category, you know, that we've talked about is something that's being financed probably by the bank. You have a mortgage, you have a car, you have student loans, something like that, where, you know, what David is talking about is a powerful thing. And this doesn't happen overnight, but once this is built, you would have the ability, you know, to, pull out of, you know, 
take a loan against your policy and finance that car and offset the interest yourself. You would have the ability to finance that student loan, to finance that home, you know? So I'm sure we're getting into that, but this, this is a huge, huge topic. So please pay attention here. Absolutely. And, and, and I think, you know, just, just to add in, you're right. We're all, we're all very similar in age and we, so to give everybody, cause not everybody will get the understanding of our relationship. So we all started, we all became friends around the 2011 type timeframe. We probably all got sold the same insurance policy, by the way, and got bit individually all three times. So, and it was a very powerful lesson. Actually, it all let, caused let's, us. Let's do that poll real quick. Did we all buy a Northwestern Mutual policy? Yep. About, yeah. So I, I've since blown mine up. I don't have it anymore. Do y'all still have it? I blew Did mine up. Convert it. Okay. Mm. Were you able to salvage yours, David? The, the the improperly designed whole life, or it was not a product that was designed for what I now want to right. do. So I okay. decided to switch to a different product. So we've all yeah. since blown that up. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead, Eric. But, Sorry, I had to know. But all, but all of us back in the 2011 timeframe, and, and I'll, I'll see how, how these two, what their memories are like. But back in 2011, I remember sitting around, granted, we were all, we were all out at the bar and, and probably a couple shots in, but we would always, our conversations were always about saying we were, we all f- had this feeling or desire and knowing that we were meant for more, that there was more than just this framework of going to work, saving in a 401k, retiring, and then moving on in life. And all three of us, whether it was one-on-one or the three-in-one or whatever that it was, we would always have these conversations where like we challenged, right? To go back to David's, you know, exactly how he starts talking with, with anybody, right? What made you, what was your mindset? How did you start to think about savings, right? What was your mindset there? All of our mindsets were, we understand what's going on, right? We went through college. You know, we, we know that we're supposed to go into the workplace. We know we're supposed to go work for however many years. We know we're supposed to get married. I think at that point, none of us, I think, Chad, maybe you were, you were dating Courtney, but quasi-married. We're married. what's that? Quasi-married. Quasi-married. Yeah, Chad yeah. was quasi-married, but David and I, we were still trying to figure out what our lives were. And, but we knew that the framework that was kind of set before us was not a framework that resonated with where we wanted to go. We had goals that didn't match the framework that was set forth. So we needed a new framework. So that was 2011. Fast forward, we're in 2021, which is 10 years later. All of us have realized and said, wait a second, it all starts again from the framework. We know we need a different framework. We all started getting educated in different things. We all started getting, you know, working on ourselves, investing in ourselves, right? This wasn't like a, you know, last year, all of a sudden they came up with an idea. And then today, all of a sudden they're talking about wealth. This has been an ongoing journey where if you look at where we were back in 2011, we were still spending all of our money. We weren't really being frivolous and all this stuff. All of the things that got us to where we are today was based on rejecting the framework that was given to us and saying, we want something, we want results in our life that doesn't match that framework. Mm -hmm. Now let's get to work. Let's Mm -hmm. get the education. Let's work on the mindfulness. Let's work on the mindset. Let's work on the tactics and the strategies. And where do we want to go? And what's our purpose? And all of these things really boil down into our 10-year journey. And that's only going to continue to shed right? When we're all 10 years older and we look back on what we did in 2021, we're going to have a, a, a marker in time that says, here's how we were thinking then. Here's why maybe some of that was close, but maybe needed to tweak a little bit or, or articulate it a little bit better. Mm-hmm. But the bones were there in how we're going on to hit our framework. Yeah. This is beautiful, by the way. It uh, makes me miss miss you both. Uh, uh, 
it's so fun to talk to people that think like you, but uh, just to hit again on the theme of like mindset process and products. Um, it's interesting because sometimes I think about this as like, what do you need to do? Uh, when do you do it with what, but who do you need to become around those things? Going back to the mindset, usually hits even a higher level of importance and priority because you could have the same products, the same things, real estate, all these tools to create wealth. If you don't think properly, if you're not who is the person capable of doing these things, it, it doesn't, it does. I mean, we know many wealthy people throughout the United States, throughout the world that squander their wealth because they are not becoming the person. And I think that is a very important message to, to distribute, inviting people uh, to engage in this journey of, of really enhancing the quality of their thoughts. And I'll give you this example with what you both are saying. Like w the three of us are, have gone through high levels of education through to the degrees and profession. I, I was born in Colombia, as you know, I went to high school in Colombia. I went to two universities in Colombia. Then I came to the United States. I went to university here. We went through a master's programs together. I can tell you that by the time I started working at GE, my paradigm, and, and, and I know you both are more, you're smarter and more responsible than me then, but I was not even thinking investing. Chad, you were saying something about you invest part of your money. Like I was not thinking like I had my expenses, my new car, my apartment, my fund money, whatever was left on my checking account was extra play money. And sometimes when I didn't look at my checking account, I was going on credit card. And that didn't matter if I made the initial salary, if I got a bonus, if my salary increased. This was several years into adulthood professionally where I wasn't thinking money in my checking account means availability to spend more. And it took me conversations with you in particular, Eric, about what is going in my mind? What is it that I want? Is my behavior aligned with what I want in the future to challenge that Overall, my thinking was driving how my relationship with money was very negative, very unhealthy. And taking a step back from that, and I say this for the audience, whoever is listening to us, don't think that you need to know, oh, I'm investing here. Wherever you are in life, there's always an opportunity to take a step and say, things need to change and I can learn and I can become. So very insightful to, to hear you say that. I love that, man. And, and we, we got to go back there because I, I actually remember you taught me something about investing back in the day because we had, we had figured out our, our health savings account. Once we got to a certain level, you could actually deploy that into the stock market mutual fund. So, so give yourself some credit there. You were thinking about it back then too. Yeah. But, but, but I love what you said there. I mean, Rome was not built in a day. We've talked about this, right? All you need to do is think like there's a book out there called think and grow rich. And the key word is not do and grow rich. It's think when you get, when you start thinking about what you want to go after, you start taking strides towards it. You get smarter every day. Then these strategies start to make sense. You start to employ one after the other, after the other, all the things we talk about in this podcast, don't think you can go do this tomorrow, right? Pick one, learn about it, figure out what's going to make the biggest initial step in your life. Mm -hmm. And focus on it and then go to the next thing and the next thing. And then you look back 10 years from now, you know, and like, wow, I, I, my paradigm has shifted so drastically from where it was today. That's yeah. all. That's all you got to do, guys. Perhaps it's not the destination by the journey that matters the most. Perhaps. That is true. That is true. And, and David, you, you brought up a good point as well. <clears throat> it's invisible. And so that's, I know last time we talked about limiting beliefs. Uh, last time we had talked about a bunch of this different stuff that you can eat. It, it starts with your belief structure. 
the hardest thing about your belief structure is exactly what David said. It's invisible to you. And so that if you, if you take nothing else away from that, just, just imagine that for a second, because that's so profound because there's a lesson in that for all of us. I'm taking that away because there's things that I'm doing in my life right now that is invisible to me. And we are so apparent. We put so much emphasis on that, which we see. I see something in the news. I'm going to react. I see, right. We, we, we rely on all of these senses that we have our five senses. And that's how we take the data driven decisions in our lives. How hard is it to be able to make a change when there is no data or the data is invisible to you, right? That's why we, what, that's why mindset is like the most powerful tool. It's like Thor's hammer. It's like the most powerful tool yet the hardest to work on because it's invisible. Mm-hmm. But yeah. know that exactly what just you know what Chad said, it's not going to be an overnight. You're not going to be like, okay, today I'm going to work on mindset. I'm going to journal for 24 hours and then it's going to be licked. We are all still working through mindset. We are all still working on what's the next level. Who do we need to become in order to get what it is that we want to have in life? Mm-hmm. And it's through that journey, again, tying to what David had said, that is that growth piece. And mm-hmm. once you tie that in, the money comes. That's um, right. So- and every- yeah. Keep and everyone, on, yeah, I was going to say, and everyone, you're going to hear us talk about mindset time and time again. It, it is not a one episode topic. It is a lifestyle. It is a belief. It is a lifestyle. <laughs> so why don't we take this and pivot into some meat and potatoes about the IBC concept? And, and so David, I mean, you're the expert. I've read some books. I don't fully understand it. I want to employ it. So maybe we can kind of, uh, you know, go into, what do I need to know? If I'm, if I'm like looking at this, like, what am I trying to do here? What am I trying to accomplish? What's the why? You know, let, let's get into some meat and potatoes here. Perfect. Well, first of all, I uh, never really describe myself in, as an expert. I constantly think of myself as a continuous learner. I wake up and think about this. I go to bed and I think about this and I've been doing it for the last several years. So um, that's the experience I speak from. And I think it's become an obsession that's really powerful. So I'm happy to, to share with you. So I think a couple of very fundamental ideas we can start with is uh, the principles that are found. I think one of the books that perhaps you've um, seen is Becoming Your Own Banker by Mr. Na- Nelson Nash. He's um, the seminal work pretty much from, um, from which we derive the principles from the infinite banking concept. Uh, and I think they're very foundational pieces for people to start shifting and understanding their thinking. If you don't understand this part, it's very easy to go into rabbit holes that have nothing to do with what we were trying to accomplish. So the first idea I would share with the audience is the fact that everything you buy, you finance. When you purchase something, you're doing financing. And that is a very counterintuitive, profound idea that most people dismiss in part. So what do I mean by that? Usually when we think about financing purchases, whether it's a natural liability, whether it's a new car or an investment property, regardless, you're even thinking about two ways of financing traditionally. You're going to use credit, which means I have not gone through the accumulation process of capital. So I'm going to use somebody else's money. And in exchange, I am willing to pay them interest with future income for the ability to use their money. Most of us are aware of that. A lot of people in our society have been taught that using credit is bad. Therefore, they try to avoid it because they think about it as debt that puts pressure on them. So that leads us to the second point, which is the use of cash. And this one is the one that's very, very tricky. 
most people think I rather pay with cash because I went through the through the process of accumulation of capital, and I rather use that than have to pay somebody interest. And the part that's missed here, that is the core of some of the problems that we're trying to address with IBC, is that when you give up your cash, you're giving up the opportunity to earn interest. So it goes both ways. Both paths are the same coin and opposite sides. And the problem with today's average American is that they think that those are two only options, whether I pay cash or credit. And I would argue, along with my partners at Factum Financial, with the community of infinite banking concept, that there's more efficient, better ways to do the process of financing your needs because everything you purchase, you finance. And this will be the process of becoming a banker, not only having the consumer hat of needing money to finance purchases through either of these methods, but also becoming the supplier, the financier, the banker. So how do banks do that? You alluded to this uh, earlier, uh, Chad. Banks take deposits or reserves at the federal or the central banks, and they will take money and put it to work, put energy into money, put it in motion. They'll issue a mortgage at 3%. When payments come back, they will loan it at 5% for a personal loan on a vehicle. When payments come back, they will issue an 8% loan for a remodel in a home. When payments come back, they'll issue a credit card at 15%. And the difference between all these loans that they're issuing in payments interest and the payment that they're paying in their deposits, which is usually zero, right? But if it's not, let's say it's something, that difference compounded, it's the returns that the bank sees on the ability to use capital that is not theirs and creating arbitrage. Which is which is a really fascinating concept. So I want to I'll pause there for a second. It, yeah. Chad had talked about that with a fractional reserve lending. Yeah. But imagine this, this is again, just this is just straight banking using deposits. This is traditional banking. We, I, that doesn't even include how they can leverage that through fractional banking, by the way. So it's even worse okay. than that. So yes. so fair. So that's just for one for one, regardless of a fractional yeah. that that you were talking about. That just says for every dollar that they've got, it, mm-hmm. it goes out. They get payments from that. Now they take that and immediately put it out, and that's like. That's like saying, I'm trying to give a, a concrete example, is if you were if you were that person, now all of a sudden you're starting to, all the money that you come in, you're putting every single dollar to work. And every time that that you know, revenue comes back from that money making money, you just mm-hmm. keep compounding over and over again, over and over again. So now all of a sudden one turns five, 10, 15, 20, hundreds, hundreds of thousands, and it just keeps multiplying, right? Let's put numbers to that real quick, right? So the, the simple way to put a number to that, the, the common thought is if the bank is making a loan at 4% to you, they're making 4% on that loan, right? Well, let's say that they're making a 4% loan to you, but they're using everyone's deposits in your community that they're paying 1% or 0.1%, 0.1, a tenth of a so, percent. So on $100, <clears throat> let's make the math easy. On $100, that's $4 that they're getting back, which is the 4%. Right, right. But but they're they're not using their money to make that loan. They're using money that the three of us and all of our friends and family put into that bank, right? And they're only paying us a tenth of a percent. So take four percent, divide it by 0.1%. That's a 40x return, okay, mm-hmm. on that money. Now, now, and we'll we'll leave fractional reserve banking here because this is a whole concept for another time, right? But just know that fractional reserve banking means for every dollar you give the bank they can lend out $10. So now multiply that 40X return by 10, 
the bank can make a 400x return by lending you back your own money. Okay. That's what you got to figure out how to squash because that, that there's no amount of savings you can put back to overcome that hurdle. Right. This is why this stuff is important. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, thanks uh, for obviously putting numbers to this, both of you um, brilliant minds. So it's, it's really helpful to put that in context. Uh, just a quick comment out of geeking out on this. The whole system is also built on a second layer of leverage, which is the central banking money and reserves that allows the banks to leverage. So we're talking about multiple layers of this, which makes it really scary to think that mm-hmm. when I ask clients, where does your money reside? Where's your wealth reside? What's the warehouse of your money? It's a, it's a, it's a question that makes people feel like, loss, like, well, I have a 401k, but they don't have a straight answer for understanding where the money is. They don't understand that, for example, they're unsecured creditors of a bank when they deposit money in a checking account. What does that mean? What is a bailing? What are are all these risks in society today? They don't understand. And I think creating that awareness is really important. But besides this, I, I bring this up as a process to illustrate how money has the ability to create other money when we understand how it works and when we understand how to use it. And the invitation then is to contrast that to the average American behavior. So I think Chad has heard me uh, talk about this uh, this week. But when we think broadly about an average person, um, in general, we have several categories of spending from their after-tax dollar. Transportation, housing, living expenses, and then whatever's left, they put in savings. And most of people, most, most of these people are trying to maximize their return investment on that two, three, 5% they save, but they never look back at the 90 plus percent of money that they're used, that they're receiving and sending to somebody else's system. Call it a bank, call it a brokerage account, whatever it is that you want to call it. The invitation from the IBC concept perspective is to think about the possibility that you yourself can go, if you're willing, through a capitalization process, accumulating capital, so you can be the financier for your needs in your life. That 90% of that budget can be recaptured, so you stop sending that interest payment to other people's entities, and you use it as a headwind, uh, as a tailwind, not a headwind. And that's where this conversation starts to layer down. Believing that that is possible for you to, instead of constantly rely on the external financing of others, and instead you taking ownership with patience, it's a long-term process. It's, uh, It's available for anybody. The most important ingredient is engagement, wanting to really take over. And there's a part of the population that doesn't want to, and it's fine. But eventually, when they recognize the problem in front of them, like we were just alluding, banks, um, institutions in general are just profiting to their productivity, it usually motivates people to take a step back and think about how this can apply to that. And, and I think that's why it's so important to understand what your why is, mm-hmm. right? Again, it goes back to the mindset piece of these are all great tactics. To your point, it takes time in order to kind of build. You know, Chad's talked before, it takes time to build. It's if you don't have a strong why, if you don't know what you're running towards, right? Then you don't know that you're going to lose steam. You're going to lose motivation mm-hmm. in running towards it because all these are great concepts. There's people that have, that have gained financial freedom using every single one of these concepts in every episode that we've talked about. Mm-hmm. But the differentiator is what is it, what switch needs to be activated in you to take a different approach? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And that could be looking at it as, as the bank systems are, are making mad profits. And you say, they're making mad profits really off of the work that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So can I just maybe take some of those profits? By the way, they're not going to care, right? If I go in and I start doing all this, again, when you when you think from a growth versus a fixed mindset, if you grab $20 million out of the financial system today, no one would even bat an eye. No one would even know, right? You'd be an overnight success and, and all of a sudden you'd have money. No one's going to know that that money's gone. So it's looking around and maybe asking different questions. What is it that would get me motivated to do something different? Or maybe you're just, you're listening to this all as, you know, because David and Chad and I are all just very exciting people to listen to, but chances are there's something in well, you. Maybe it's David, a little deeper. I don't know about you, but... <laughs> What's that? I said, maybe David and I, I don't know about you, but you know, that's true. I'm just, I'm just the fly on the wall. That's fine. I'll, I'll buy that. So, you know, but, but what is it that's going to take you to the next level? Why is it that you want to go there? Because there is something and I, without even talking to you guys, I know deep down inside that there is some vision that you have for yourself. Maybe it's traveling more with your kids. Maybe it's spending more time with your kids because maybe your parents didn't spend that much time with you. Maybe it's because you see, people of influence around starting um, companies and how fun mm-hmm. that they're enjoying it. Maybe it's, it's watching Bill Gates in starting a lot of these charity groups and you're sitting there going, I can do more than just what I'm doing. There is something deep down inside of you, but it's, it's getting that self-awareness that will then lead you to maybe it's infinite banking, maybe it's real estate, maybe it's this, maybe it's that, maybe it's that. So question those selves. So that way you can then take that next step for um, starting to challenge and say, maybe I need to reestablish what I need to go do. Yeah. Something we we talk a lot about is the quality of the questions you ask yourself, because to your point, you want to do all these things, whatever they look like for you. But most people immediately go to the statements. I don't think I can do this. I can afford it. And the, the quality of the question you can ask yourself, such as how can I? How can I, how can I become, how can I do, how can I achieve? It opens the mind for the creative power that we all have. It has nothing to do with education. It has nothing to do with your background. We all have been gifted this for free to use our minds, to put what's in the screen of our minds into the circumstances we live in today. And I think it starts with that quality questions, quality thinking. And I'll share this with you. Part of the reason why I share this so passionately and it's become something very aligned with my purpose is not just because it enables me to ask those questions myself and perhaps align myself with the things I want, but I truly believe that generationally in the future, the more we all start thinking more accurately, the the more we all take responsibility, ownership for our financial life, as a society, we can change a lot of the things that are expressing themselves as social disruptions, um, divisions in society, um, wealth inequality. All these things are the product of a system that has unfortunately taken people down a road that creates the tension we see on society. And I think that a little part of that could be a solution where we all look at ourselves in the mirror and say, if I take responsibility, I'll be one less person outside of that problem. And instead, I'm going to start thinking about how do I contribute to improve the situation. So 100% very, very, very well said. So take us into 
that framework. So we, 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 you started talking about the bank piece of it. And then you said, okay, now imagine that you're, that you can take and start to apply that to yourself. Now what's the next step? Okay. So now, now that we've briefly discussed that problem, we're giving interest or we are not um, building assets through our capital that can grow. We need to start thinking about if I want to use that process based on the understanding of the problem on myself, how do I apply that process in my life? What platforms, what products do I use to deploy my capital? Again, this is regardless of whether you're buying a silly doodad or if you're buying assets and you're an investor and you're a very um, sophisticated individual, right? I've seen real estate investors worth millions of dollars that when they see this concept, they say, wow, I wish I would have financed a lot of my acquisitions through this process. And uh, to answer your question, then we started looking at uh, the product and we which, uh, built this process, which is uh, uh, dividend paying whole life insurance policies. We use mutual companies that as a purpose have um, to use risk uh, pooling. They're going to bring a group of people we all have the certainty we're all going to die. We have ways to measure the probabilities and the risk associated with that distribution over time. And we're all going to combine that risk and we're going to transfer risk to an entity that as policyholders, we're all shareholders to, and we're going to protect each other. This idea, by the way, is 200 years old plus, right? Before the IRS, before tax uh, considerations, before the Fed, it was a uh, marketplace, free marketplace solution that emerged from the recognition of early mortality being a risk for households. And we're going to, to protect each other. Uh, unfortunately, uh, most people have heard poor messaging, incorrect messaging about this product, and they have their own ideas, their own beliefs, with, which usually leads them to disregard it as an asset class. Last week, we had the opportunity with our group to have a, a training session with Tom Wilwright the tax advisor for the rich that company. And in the call, um, I took a note when he was referring to the types of insurance and the way he described it was term insurance is an expense, whole life insurance is an asset class. And I thought that was really profound. Mm -hmm. If you think about the standard financial statement, you'll have an income and expenses, which will be your cash flow equation. And then at the bottom, you'll have your assets and liabilities, which we your balance sheet. And the way I think about this is I want to flow, flow my income through assets before I decide what to do with it, whether I recapture liabilities, whether I pay expenses, whether I buy other assets. I want to make sure I'm buying assets. And because whole life insurance policies that are dividend paid, usually with mutual companies are assets, they give me the ability to do two things. I'm going to protect my family against my loss. My best asset in my life forever will be myself and my productivity. So I want that protection. And number two, I am going to start thinking about how to finance my life today. And this is a realization that Mr. Nelson proposes in his book. Every individual today has a higher need for financing than for protection. In other words, your probability of needing protection right now, although it's very, very risky if you were to be lost, is much lower then your need for financing is more likely that you're going to need to travel to pay uh, needs for your household, for your children. And therefore, we should prioritize both things. Most people buy whole life insurance for protection. I would suggest that you need to look at it in an asset class where 
um, properly structured, you can use this as a vehicle to finance your life today. And that is when this starts separating for the traditional paradigm. Most people look at savings for retirement, which is in its own an idea that uh, most of us maybe don't subscribe. Uh, but if you do, um, you want to go in a process of accumulation and then in distribution and you hope and pray that you never run out of money. That's what most people are doing with a 401k, with some of them, right? The number one fear in boomers, running out of money before they die. What a, what a crazy way to live. You want to outlive your money. That's, that's not living. That's surviving through after your productivity and not enjoying life fully. I am very blessed, very lucky that I was introduced to this idea because it shifted in aligned with who I already was, which is I want to live life today. My mom died when she was 44 years old. Okay. She was perfectly normal, healthy at 40. At 44, she passed away from ovarian cancer. We never thought this would happen, you know? And I'm not saying again, just a protection aspect, but I know that because of that experience, I am already biased to, I want to live life today. I want to maximize this conversation. I'm here with the two of you, nowhere else in the world. My mind, me is here. And that's how I should look at money perhaps of maximizing my life today and also planning to grow my assets for future and future opportunity because it's a mindset of abundance as well. Okay. Uh, so with that in mind, the product is perfect because it allows you to create an asset. When you are putting premiums uh, as deposits into these products, you are accumulating cash values, which is the current, uh, think about it, equity inside the product. It's a much more formal definition, discounted value, so the future death benefit minus future premiums, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but think about it as the current equity inside the asset that continues to grow guarantee, has guarantee clauses, so it's never going to come down, which makes it a very, very important product for the foundation of your wealth. It has the opportunity to earn interest. So when I put cash there, it's going to grow every year. Every time I go to bed, I wake up richer. Every time I go to bed, I wake up richer and I did nothing. My money's working for me. On top of that, because of the structure of these mutual companies, I am also a shareholder of the company, which enables me to earn equity in the form of dividends, which are paid as returns and premiums. So not only I earn interest, I also earn dividends on that money, which is a beautiful thing. I, I, every year I become richer because of the participation in this arrangement. And then more importantly, now my money is having a second role, which doesn't happen when you use either credit or cash. In addition to having an asset that is compounding uninterruptedly, uninterruptedly, I have the ability to use that cash value as collateral. I, because I have an asset, can look at the insurance company and say, from your reserve cash, may I borrow cash in the amount of up to the amount that I've contributed in premiums or that I have in cash values, I'm sorry. So I can make a loan from you and go finance the needs around me today while my money sits and compounds uninterruptedly for the rest of my life. That is a principle that allows you to put money to work and multiply its jobs, growth, and financing today's needs, okay? Regardless of rates of return, uh, growth, the interest of the policy, how much the dividends, most people go into those rabbit holes and that's the question, say, how, how much is compared to the 401? Oh, but I'm earning this. Take a step back and think about that. I don't know if either of you have ever had to take a loan for one of your assets outside um, 401k, but as soon as you take that money out, the growth stops. 
right? There's no, and, and unless you put that money back, the process starts. And also the most important thing you lost, you had the opportunity cost was to take that money out the time that you lost on that compounding. That's right. So if you have the opportunity to, through your life and your productivity, your current health, who you are, create an asset today that you're going to build over time, that whenever you die, it's going to enable you to protect your family that grows both through interest growth and dividend growth, equity and interest, and that allows you to collateralize it so you can finance today's needs. Why not to take a step back and think about that? That's hugely powerful because what you said there, and I want to make sure people don't gloss over this. If you go take a loan from your 401k or another asset, you are physically pulling money out of it. You are literally mm -hmm. dropping the balance and therefore the balance you have in that account is what's earning interest. So you, mm -hmm. like he said, you have lost opportunity cost on that money. Yeah. The beauty of these products is you're not taking anything out of your policy. Your policy stays exactly how it is, but you collateralize it. You, you say, Hey, Mr. Bank or Mr. Insurance company, I'm going to, I have this much value here. Give me a loan secured by this. And they're like, sure, all day long. Cause here's the deal. You're going to die one day and that policy will, they'll simply pay themselves back if you don't pay that loan back the day you die. They, they, they're, they're in the long game, baby. 250 years and running, right? So Absolutely. what an amazing thing, Dave. What an amazing thing. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting idea. And I, I'll add one more point uh, to add a little more validity to it. So this is me telling you this concept. Now, let's take a look at it and bring it back to the real world. Where is this happening at large scales? So you don't have to look at my policies and little David Zapata doing this. When you look at largest corporations in the United States, usually banks are at the top of that list. Some of the largest national banks are the largest owners of a product called bank-owned life insurance, Bali. Okay. This product happens to be a product that they purchase with cash reserves or deposits or whatever assets. And they are able, based on public policy, I'm talking about central bank regulation, they're able to use the cash values in those policies. They're able to represent those as tier one capital, which is the capital that they use to compare to risky assets for their uh, supplementary reserve ratios, meaning how safe, how structured the bank is, not only accounts for deposits and reserves at the central bank, but their cash values are part of that sacred money with gold. So if banks who are very good, we already established that, at using money to create large profits, are putting their profits into these vehicles. They're, they're warehousing their savings into these vehicles. They're no dumbest. They're really smart. They're really intelligent. Which, and which, which goes to, in, any, in anything, right? This, this is true, whether it's business, whether it's your personal, follow where the money goes. Mm-hmm. Even all the way Examples up to the top. of success. Because if your goal is where money is, follow where other people's money is, mm -hmm. right? And, and, and I, that's, that's brilliant that you share that because most time people assume, you know, I think Chad and I covered this in one of the episodes, valuation and what people are worth and where their money is actually at. Most people mm -hmm. assume, well, they probably have X amount and say, you know, if they're worth $100 million, they're not, they don't have $100 million just sitting in the savings account. They don't just have it sitting in a 401k. No, no. They have that it sitting the in, in somewhere have else. It sitting. 
Well, they have it sitting somewhere yeah. else, right? And even if you don't even believe that, just just think, where do you think, you know, Jeff Bezos' money is? A lot of it, sure, is in a company and the valuation of it. Yeah. But but he, you know there's some amount that he has on his own personal balance mm-hmm. sheet. Where do you think that money is? Think through where those are. In, in exactly what David said, the banks, right, is another great example of a system, an entity that is very good with money. So where are they putting their assets? Where are they putting their money? Where are they putting their savings? Mm-hmm. There's a lot to be learned from that. Success leaves clues, but you have to have the awareness to find the clues. So. I'll take it one step further to get right on top of our, of closer to where we are, right? Banks are so far removed and businesses yeah. are so far removed from the individual. Think about the executives of your company, right? I read a study recently, and David, you can probably quote this, but I read a study recently where if you look at the compensation packages of, of CEOs from General Electric, from from Airbus, from you know IBM, these massive companies, right? This is a person now. We're not talking about a bank. We're talking about a person. Mm-hmm. They don't get 401k plan. They get like maybe 2% of their conversation package is a 401k plan. Most of it is going into products like this, this whole life, ins- this, this uh, whole life insurance policy, whether they're using it this way, I can't speak to that, but that's something to be said if that's how they're choosing to receive their compensation packages. Add to that list, politician, athletes, people that are close to advisors and family offices and um, institutions that understand how money works because they're taking examples from successful entities and applying it at the UME level. So to go back to something you said at the beginning of the call, who this applies to, I go back to some very, very basic thought. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter what you do. All those things are the external results of your previous thinking. What's in the screen of your mind is the future you, and that's up to you. The person that's engaged, that wants to take control, that wants to seek prosperity and abundance, is able to do this starting with a very small policy or very large assets, does not matter. It matters that you want to question, what are you doing today? Is your income going directly through expenses to somebody else and never seeing you again? Or are you thinking like the rich that want to acquire assets that create cash flow? that create additional equity so they can continue to grow their net worth so they can do more prosperity for themselves, their family, and then to free themselves to think about how they can contribute their gifts to make the world better. That mindset shift differentiates who wants to come on board and who doesn't. It's it's very well profoundly said. I think we're going to let him have the mic drop moment today. That's, I, so I think I was going to say, so I think that's our mic drop moment. Chad usually throws out some, I think he's got like a cheater list always. hiding on his, his computer where he just like throws down the mic. So hundred percent exactly what you just said, David. And I think that's a great pause because what I want everyone that's listening is to take a moment and answer those questions. Is that going to be you? And it's okay if, if the answer is, it is me, but maybe not right now. It could be that you, that's not for you, and that's okay too. But just ans- just ask the question and answer it. Where is it that you want to go? Are you willing to look and become an expert into something that is a little different, is not what the mainstream is? And if you're worried about conversations, don't worry. we got an episode on that. How do you have the conversations with the friends and family that are going to tell you, you're crazy, you're stupid, um, that's not how I built wealth. 
Sure. But exactly what David had said, the number one fear right now in boomers is I pray that my I've got enough money in the bank that is going to outlast me. Think of how very troubling that is. Let's let's put our empathetic hats on for a second and then we'll, and then we'll close the session down. You know what? Baby. I mean, what, what other people think about what you're doing is none of your business. Leave it that way. Well, it, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's 100% true. You got to be able to have enough self-confidence enough to be able to say that. So Chad's coming from a place where he's got enough of that confidence to be able to say it. For the people who don't have it, you know, there's, don't worry, we got that episode that, that we had done. But imagine the boomer situation. They bought into a system that said, don't worry, we're going to have pensions. We're going to have, you know, you work for 30, 40 years, you know, saving your 401k, et cetera. They build a, a mass. Now, all of a sudden, they're retired. They're supposed to live. They've saved their entire lives. They've, they've pushed out and said, I'm going to live meagerly so I can have some day where I can live abundantly. Now, they go through their whole lives and they have this fear of, I pray that I've got enough money. You know, because right now we're all, we're living a lot longer. That's another thing that was never fat factored into it. If you if you projected that you died at age eighty and you die at seventy nine or eighty, then perfect. You know, the last you spent your last cent before you died. If you live to eighty five, you're you're screwed. You're hosed. Eighty six, mm-hmm. eighty seven, and ninety. What a very scary place to be in. Mm-hmm. You've lived your entire life from a scarcity standpoint, so that you could save, it so that one day you could actually enjoy life. You get Mm -hmm. to the point of being able to enjoy life. And now your fear is not, am I saving enough? It's I've stopped working. Am I spent? Now I have to still stay, say, stay in that saving mode because I don't want to run out of money. Mm -hmm. And I'm one market correction away from having to go back to work in my Mm seventies, a very, very scary point. So that's not what we want for you. That's not what um, we're planning on doing. So that's why we're, we're pulling this stuff together and trying to help educate you, uh, get you to challenge whatever belief structure that you have, if you're open to it and allow you to have the tools and the resources available to you to make that happen. So we'll close today's sessions. If you have questions for either David, uh, Chad, or myself, just go ahead and reach out to us on social media, send me an email, whatever that you need to go do, contact us with your questions because your questions can get answered immediately. And that may be the thing. You're just one question away from having a completely different life. Absolutely. Gentlemen, it's a pleasure. I can wait to do it again. You two are inspiration and I have so much respect for both of you. Um, I am honored to be here with you. Honored to have you, sir. And honestly, guys, both ways. Yes, it does. To pre-frame the next episode, you know, I am someone who's getting ready to buy some of this stuff. I've been learning about this for a while. I have questions. It might be good to have a live Q&A and just, you know, help me walk through it. Because I'm sure if I'm asking these questions, some other people are as well. You know. Glad to hear, man. I, any way I can serve, be happy to share. Excellent. All right, guys. Take See care. You soon. And uh, until next time, keep moving forward, guys. Did you know that 8 out of 10 men are living a life that they wish was better? I believe living an exceptional life means unlearning everything that we've been taught and dropping the shoulds immediately. Which is why I created a brand new ebook titled Coaching Secrets, How to Break Out of Ordinary and Live an Exceptional Life. I want to show you the mindsets, strategy, and tactics you need to live the life you were meant to be so that you can step into the vision that you have for yourself, but maybe haven't taken action. 
And the best part about it, it's yours absolutely free. To get your copy, head on over to manofclass.com forward slash coaching secrets. And you can start living that life right now.